Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmade and back in late 2019, the Barbican hosted a series of talks and debates exploring cinema's relationship to the modern city and our experience of urban life. As part of this, journalist and playwright Bonnie Greer introduced Spike Lee's groundbreaking 80s film, Do the Right Thing. There was a lot of problems about that in the time it came out. A lot of people were very angry, the reviewers, because they thought it condoned violence. They didn't like the words um, that were used, all that sort of thing. But um, but that's the way it is, and that's the way it was. Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up. Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, your voice of choice. This comedy drama film was produced, written and directed by Spike Lee. He appears in the cast alongside Danny Aiello, Ozzy Davis, Ruby Dee, Richard Edson, Giancarlo Esposito, Bill Nunn, John Turturro and Samuel L. Jackson. Plus the film featured the debuts of Martin Lawrence and Rosie Perez. Bonnie Greer joined me to discuss the impact of this film. There are very few films that catch the moment. You know, there are films that catch the moment. I mean, I was re-looking at, uh, believe it or not, Gladiator the other day, and I thought, well, what's it about this film? It, it's a moment. It catches something. And and there are, a lot of, there are not a lot of films like that, but there are films like that. Uh, and Spike caught something. He caught a transition. He caught the transition of New York. I had a sense that gentrification was coming, that people were going to be pushed out, that this was going to be the end of a culture, of a way of being. And I thought, oh, it's time for me to leave New York City. And I think Spike sensed it about Fort Greene. Sometimes the police either consciously or unconsciously are used as agents of that kind of push out. So when you see that moment when, you know, Radio Rahim is just grabbed, you know, basically it's a lot about that kind of thing. Also about, you know, the big black man, you know, the the sort of fear of the big black man. When We can see this again in Ferguson where the cops just decided to just destroy this person and ask questions later. Yeah, I was going to come on to that. I mean, it it seems a film that unfortunately is is irrelevant when it was made as it is now. Yes. I mean, you know, as you get older, you realize it takes a long time to change. And uh, Spike really pretty much 
understood and understands as a filmmaker the kind of tensions that exist within the African-American black community uh, and with black men. And he was very astute, astutely understood the fear of the big black man. And and Radio Rahim is absolutely uh, sort of the embodiment of that. And, and it's kind of, it's extremely clever. I mean, he's got a chorus, a Greek chorus on the other side who sort of like diss everybody. He's got the narrator who's the DJ. And he's got uh, the conflicted and kind of wimpy, weeny little black man, which is what he plays, who is trying to kind of figure out how to be a man in the context of everything that's going on. But it's a very prescient film because it shows the black community and the and the archetypes that exist, and he tries to open them up for us as best he can. There was a lot of problems about that in the time it came out. A lot of people were very angry, the reviewers, because they thought it condoned violence. They didn't like the words um, that were used, all that sort of thing. But, um, but I mean, that, that's the way it is, and that's the way it was. You're looking for trouble? Are you a troublemaker? Is that what you are? You making trouble? Yeah, I'm a troublemaker. I'm making trouble. You're a real ball breaker. Who's coming in here looking for trouble, huh? Suppose I busted your head. How would you... Look, you want to get your friend out of here? Well, are you going to kick me out now? Are you, you going to kick me out, huh? No, I'm not kicking you out. You're kicking yourself out. Do you think it was important that Spike was so involved, you know, even putting himself in the film? Well, I think Spike was the flaw. And, you know, he has a right, of course, to do it. I mean, Orson Welles is in his films. Woody Allen is in his films. You know, why not? You know, but he isn't as good as they are. So what you have is um, this kind of kind of actor monkey who's in the middle of this picture and it, and it makes a mistake because what a director does I think is you look at the f- you you make the film that's in front of you that's it you you have the, the script is your guide the actors will help you but you make the film that is in front of you the film began to be long to sell and it would have been a more nuanced picture if Sal had been allowed to take that film where it was going, Spike was completely capable of doing that. Mm. He had the art, he has the artistry, the intelligence, the vision, everything to like step out of there and let that happen. Then he would have made a masterpiece. Uh, he would have made a, a, a big masterpiece. He's made a little masterpiece. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's good enough. Yes. That's good enough for me. But uh, he has in him the capacity to make a big masterpiece. And frankly, I'm still waiting for it. But the work stands at the end of the day, um, and that's what I was trying to penetrate. He didn't want to go there. That's okay. But like I say, and it's very important for me to say this, the guy is a cinematic genius, and we will realize this. Uh, the, the cinema world will realize this as time goes on. Uh, sometimes the person gets in the way of what the thing is. And, you know, Spike's still alive. He's functioning. Hopefully he'll be able to make more pictures. Um, he's like Orson Welles in the sense that people didn't have time for Orson Welles, the person. But the work is incredible, and, and that's all that matters. And that's what Spike gives us all the time. Great work. You almost knocked me down, man. The word is excuse me. Ah, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Not only did you knock me down, you used to buy my brand new Fuck white Air Jordans that I just bought. And that's all you can say is excuse me. Are you serious? Who told you to walk on my side of the block? Who told you to be in my neighborhood? I own this brownstone. Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block in my neighborhood on my side of the street? Did you realize at the time the sort of impact it would have? 
It had a lot of impact on me because that was my scene. It was, it was, it's about the hip hop thing that it was at the beginning, you know, with Public Enemy and with Grandmaster Flash and all that. It was very, very much about not only like breaking the musical rules, but it was also about a feeling. Because when I lived on the Lower East Side, uh, I used to go to Little Italy a lot, uh, which wasn't very far. And there was a Little Italy. There really was. Uh, there isn't one there anymore, but there really, really was. And it was, and also divided itself between Chinatown. So to look at Brooklyn that he created at the time was very much about the tensions of the older white community trying to hold on to its its stuff and sort of the new community coming in. So what Spike Lee's genius is that he's also got the Korean community there because, of course, the Korean community was starting to become a part of the black community and take over the businesses. So he's got all kinds of layers of strata of society. It is very much about Fort Greene where, uh, at the time, where Spike began his work, where he had his production company. It's very Fort Greene. Yo, man, your Jordans are f***ed up. Damn, man, you might as well throw them f***s out. Them f***s, it's blow. Man, they looked at it good before he messed up. He did this on purpose, man. He was even talking about your mom. Oh, that Yo, man, how much you pay for him? A hundred bucks. American dollars. A hundred and eight with tax. I give him a hundred headaches. Look, you're lucky the black man has a loving heart. Next time you see me coming, then you cross the street quick. I'm out of here. I, um... I remember watching the film the first time. I I lived in New York City from 1978 to 1986. I lived in the Lower East Side, Alphabet City. I worked at the Public Theater, and I knew a guy who was friends with Spike Lee when Spike Lee was starting out, and I had friends in Fort Greene in Brooklyn. So I know that whole scene. And, and you know, obviously around at the beginning of, of hip-hop, you know, I saw all this. So I'm sitting here in London three years later when the film comes out. Um, he's a, cin- a cineast. He's a great cineast. He's somebody who understands the cinema. I'm not talking about movies. I'm talking about the cinema, the art of it. And I think the thing that shocked people when Spike first came out, because like I say, I was around when he first came out with his first short I think it's called Bed-Stuy, We Cut Heads. And then he did She's Gotta Have It, and he took it to Cannes. People were shocked because they hadn't encountered an African-American filmmaker with Spike's knowledge of the cinema and of what had gone before. So to me, he is uh, very much in the line of French uh, cinema, and I'm sure he's going to like scream at me, but... Uh, French cinema after World War II, and I'm thinking of Cocteau. I'm thinking of a lot of the new wave uh, that about the end of the 50s. Uh, there's bits and pieces of, of that crew. Godard, Truffaut, the kind of knowledge about what the camera does, the the fearlessness in terms of just being able to break stereotypes, being very aware that he's got an audience looking. He's not entertaining anybody. I mean, if you get entertained, that is fantastic. But he's he's constantly, uh, in those days, challenging you to look at the cinema. He wants to push it. He certainly wants to push it past whatever its notion is about black men, black people. Uh, my dad grew up in an era where people like Spike used to be called race men. They were people who just 100% for black people. Then everybody else came afterwards. And I think 
Spike is very much that kind of guy. He's very conscious of the way black people, black men function in society. And he wants to use that consciousness to create a new kind of cinema. Not, not only for that, that is about black people, but the, a new kind of cinema. He's, and again, I want to really stress because I think I want to talk about the difference between movies and the cinema. You can make a good movie. I could probably make a movie. But the cinema is a body of knowledge. And I think in the fullness of time, people are going to realize that this guy has got that. And probably one of the last filmmakers in the American pantheon to have it. Um, everybody else makes movies. And I'm trying, I'm, I'm rolling, I'm running past a whole bunch of people in my mind as I'm saying that because I don't want to like overstate this. But Spike went to film school and very serious about film school, great film school, New York Film School. And Scorsese went there that whole, you know, few, 10, 20 years before him. And so this makes this movie immortal. And it does make it of the 100 greatest films. And it's been selected as such. Let me tell you the story of right hand, left hand. It's a tale of good and evil. Hey, it was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. The story of life is this static one hand is always fighting the other hand this is part of the city visions season so it's looking at how the city is is portrayed if you you know for people, for Londoners, for British people, uh, New York is Manhattan. Manhattan is Central Manhattan. Central Manhattan is the skyscrapers and blah blah blah. Brooklyn is brownstones. It it was it ain't no more. But it's brownstones. It was corner shops. It was people knowing people on the steps. It was street preachers. It was the DJ who got the party together Saturday nights. It was the local restaurants. It was the characters, and and so. Spike brings all of these people together to give the film a sense of community so that the power of it, and I think the power in making a city film, is to be uh, uh, the particular becomes the general. As much as you know about the city, your space, the more minutely you can you can sort of double down in it, which is what Spike does. He, he shows you the kind of mad woman. She's not mad, but, you know, the character you get the sense of the bigness of the city. And and if I can remember bits of it, and, and what's really true about Brooklyn is that in the background over the bridge is Manhattan. So you you always see that. I mean, you see that in Saturday Night Fever as well. Over, <laughs> over, the, over the bridge is Manhattan. So it's always this sense of longing, like I got to get out of here. I'm going here or I'm not going to go here. So the city becomes in itself a struggle of neighborhoods. You know, whether you are going to go the big, the big time, which in London would be the West End, or whether you're going to live in the city or whatever, or whether you're going to stay in your hood. So it's always that kind of balance, that tension, and it's there in the film. And I think that's what urban living is, the, the battle of deciding where the center of gravity is. Trust you, uh, Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. Remember your son? I do remember my son. His name is Hector. You know, were you trying to say I'm a bad father? Honest man. The beginning of the film is what blew me away. I had, I mean, the beginning. 
uh, when she does the, the, the dance to fight the power. And you just think, my goodness. I mean, this film says you're, you're entering our world now. You either you stay here and we're going to take you in here or get up and leave now because we're going in there. And, and that's what I remember about it. That's what a great film is. And um, you can't forget the beginning. When Rosie Perez, who plays the lady who's Spike's partner and the mother of his son, when she starts at the beginning to public enemy just think well first of all he uses a, a afro puerto rican sister to do this which is like you know salam dunk and then fight the power i just was exhilarated i'm still exhilarated to see the beginning of it it is bold and one of the boldest statements in the cinema in the last 40 years so it, it's incredible it's it's as bold as the beginning of the godfather where you have a guy, an Italian-American, saying, I believe in America. Spike pushes that up the next notch and has Fight the Power. So it's it's fantastic beginning. The color for today is black. That's right, black. So you can absorb some of these rays and save that heat for winter. So you want to get on out there, wear that black, and be involved. Also, today's temperature is going to rise up over 100 degrees. So that's a Jerry Curl alert. That's right, Jerry Curl alert. If you have a Jerry Curl, stay in the house or you'll end up with a permanent plastic helmet on your head forever. Thanks to Bonnie Greer for speaking to us for this podcast. I'm Ben Eshmade. You've been listening to an archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds such as this and theme series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on ACAST, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.